Um, tonight it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to have sort of three very mini little sermons um, looking a bit more closely at Mark chapter 16, which we were looking at together this morning. We're also going to hear from three of you um, who are going to share little stories. I remember this morning I said to the children that there's no point believing in anything in the Bible if it doesn't make a difference in our life. Uh, and three people who, for whom the Bible has made a difference and Jesus Christ has made a difference in their life. We're just going to share short little testimonies tonight to encourage us. And there's really one aim of tonight's service, which is that we would all come go from here uh, more encouraged. So I'm going to speak three times, quite short each time. I'm going to hear from these three different people and then have some moments to sing praises to God through the service as well. So if you have a Bible, please turn up Mark chapter 16. Uh, it's the passage we looked at this morning. Um, Jackie, who's seated down there, is going to read to us the different snippets from Mark chapter 16 as we look at them together. Let me pray, though, that God would bless us as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we opened up this passage this morning, but there's always more that we can learn as we see these amazing truths that touch our lives. And I pray that you would bless them to us. pray that the testimonies of my friends tonight would bless each of us and encourage us to know that you are alive and that you are a God who speaks truth. So please still our hearts tonight and please may each of us leave here encouraged tonight. Amen. Thanks, Jackie. So Jackie's going to read to us uh, from Mark's Gospel um, and just read from verses 1 to 8, the same reading we had this morning. Thank you. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing because they were afraid. Great. Well, let's uh, have a look at this passage together. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen behind me. The first thing I want us to see in this passage, which builds again on what we were learning together this morning is that Mark chapter 16, in part, teaches us how we can have confidence that the word of God is truthful, that we can trust what is written in the Bible. Uh, There's a picture of uh, Muggins, me, uh, on my first day of school. Uh, I remember the time, I remember the picture, I remember where I was. When I was this age, I had no understanding of some of the things that I would later experience in my school and some of the lifelong lessons they would teach me. But as I grew up, age five, I think there, it was this building in my school down near Bath, which became really, really significant to me. This was um, the chapel in the school where we met each morning. The school I went to had a very strong Christian heritage and there was almost always a clear message from the Bible. And as I was growing up, from age five all the way up to age 18. It was in this place here, in this chapel, that God was teaching me all sorts of truths. Uh, This is the hymn book 
um, of the school chapel, which I uh, had when I left from my school. This is the same Bible that was in the pews in the chapel. Uh, this is held together with tape now, uh, but I've had it ever since. But I treasure these two things because they're kind of things that have been taken from this chapel, which was really significant for me. Uh, and as I grew up, this was the school motto. Uh, I don't suppose many necessarily understand Latin here, but uh, I believe if I remember that the top bit comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and it's part of the school motto as it was then, uh, not to be served, but to serve. And then the bottom bit is the bit I really want to talk about. It's the school motto that was Latin words that meant your word is truth. And it was referring to the Bible. And it was in that chapel over many, many years that increasingly I learned that this is truthful and I can have confidence in it. And I'm hugely grateful to the Christian teachers and the chaplains and people who taught me in that chapel. And I guess as we grow up and as we live our lives, it's only when our trust in the word of God is tested that we really are able to grow confidence in it. And it's often been through some of the hard times in my life where I've gone back to truths that I learned in that chapel from this Bible and they're truths that have helped me through some of the difficult things in my life. I don't know about you, but perhaps you can think of times in your life where you were going through a hardship and God has taught you you can have complete and utter confidence in his word. If you remember the little series we've been doing in Mark chapters 14 through to chapter 16, one of the big things we've looked at time and time again have been the misunderstandings where people uh, get Jesus' identity completely wrong. And we, we saw, didn't we, in Gethsemane when the disciples don't understand who Jesus is and they run away, they abandon him. We see the great tragedy of when Peter denied that he even knew Jesus, let alone loved him. Uh, we had the trials, didn't we? Jesus before the Jewish ruling council, then Jesus tried before the Roman governor Pilate. But ultimately, all of these different stories teach us that that first Easter, the Lord Jesus Christ was completely abandoned by everyone around him, except, go back to chapter 15 in your Bible, just before our reading. Notice who hadn't abandoned Jesus. There was some women. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger of jo- and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And it's interesting because Mark, the writer of this gospel, draws very specific attention to the fact that it was women who were first at the tomb to discover that Jesus had risen again. And that may seem sort of inconsequential. So what? Does it matter if it was a woman, if it was a man? But actually it's a a little insight that helps us to know that we can have confidence in the word of God. Let me explain. If you go back in history to kind of ancient Judaism, women were held in really high esteem. And that's, I think, why the Lord Jesus spoke with great respect and dignity to women. But increasingly towards the time of Jesus, when the Greeks and the Romans were influencing culture, increasingly... Uh, Jewish women were degraded. They weren't thought of as important. So there were people like, you may have heard of a Jewish historian, Josephus. And he said that women's testimony didn't count for anything in a court of law. There was another first century philosopher, a guy called Philo. And he went even further. He said it wasn't just that women had no testimony in a court of law. That wouldn't be listened to. But women really shouldn't have any part to play in any public event. That was the attitude at the time. 
So much so that it got to a point that in the first century, a Jewish man would wake up and he'd pray this prayer. I thank God that I'm not a slave and that I'm not um, a Gentile and that I'm not a woman. Terrible, really. But such was the culture at the time that women were hugely degraded. And yet, why then does Mark draw specific attention in chapter 16, verse 1, to the fact that it was women who were at the tomb and discovered Jesus was alive? Come, come to chapter one, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. We read here, when the Sabbath was over. So the Sabbath began at sunset on the Friday night. It ended at sunset on the Saturday night. So when Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, she came from a town called Magdala, Mary, the mother of James, who's described all over the Gospels as a close friend of Jesus, and Salome, she was possibly the mother of James and John. They came to the tomb and brought spices so they could anoint the body of Jesus. Now, this anointing wasn't like Egyptian kind of embalming. You know, the mummies that are wrapped up in cloth? That was the idea of of preserving a body. When the Jews embalmed a body, it wasn't about preserving it. It was more about showing respect. And you'd take expensive perfume and you would take it to a dead person and anoint their body as a way of honoring them. And this is what the women go to do. Notice as well in your reading, verse 7, it wasn't just the women who were first at the tomb. It was also the women who were first commanded to go and tell other people that Jesus had risen. Now think about the context. Mark... The writer writes the gospel, probably the first of the gospels to be written, maybe around 64 AD, so 30, 31 years after Jesus had died. And he writes this gospel at the time when Nero was the emperor of Rome, and Nero hated Christians. He'd even set light to them and burned them in his garden for fun. So Mark is writing in a context to Christians who are really, really being persecuted, and he wants to give them confidence that what they read in the scriptures and what they have testified about the risen Jesus is true. So hold that together now. Mark is writing to encourage these Christians, and they're living in a culture where a woman's testimony is not valid. Why on earth does he draw attention to the fact that it was women first at the tomb, and it was women who were first commanded to go and speak? The reason is because it was women who were first at the tomb. It's as simple as that. And Mark's not trying to make up a story to persuade people. Because if he was making up a story, he would say, well, there was the men there. Because you'd listen to a man's testimony. He's just reporting what happened. And because it's true, he just says, this is what happened. It was the women who were first there. And it gives us confidence that God's word is trustworthy. Notice, too, in the reading, there are all sorts of little clues where Mark draws very specific attention to particular details to, again, show us the story is not made up. Uh, Do you see in verse 1... He doesn't just say some women got to the tomb. He specifically mentions who these women were. So people could go and ask them and say, is it true? Did you really see? In in verse 2, again, you get very specific time details. It wasn't just on a day. It was a specific day at a specific time. Again, facts that could be checked by people. If he's making up a story, these facts wouldn't add up. Uh, You get a stone, the detail about the stone, don't you, in verse 4. It wasn't just any old stone, it was a very large stone. And in verse 5, you get this little detail of where the angel, as it probably was, in the tomb, was seated. Not just an angel in the tomb, but seated where? Up there on the right side. They're all little details, but little details that matter, because if you didn't think this really happened, you could speak to an eyewitness, and they could cross-examine. But Mark knows this happened, And so he writes these little details to give us confidence. 
I wonder for you, as we move on from Easter tomorrow morning, what would it take for you to have a a growing confidence this coming year in the word of God? Well, I'm going to ask Matt, where's Matt seated? Matt, Matt's going to come up and just share with us very briefly a little bit of his story of how God in recent weeks has been teaching him how he can have more and more confidence in the word of God. Thanks, Matt. Do you want to just share with everyone? Um, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, um, recently um, in my faith, um, God's just done so many amazing things for me ever since I started to turn to his word more and more and more. Um, and in my faith, I didn't, I never knew where to turn in the Bible. I never knew where to go. Um, so I didn't, didn't read it because it's like, well, I don't know where, where to read. Like, where am I meant to start? Something's meant to have a meaning or things along those lines. And then eventually I got to the point where I was like, oh, I asked God where to go. He, he wrote it. So I asked him where to go. And so he started to tell me where to go in the scripture and start to tell me like go to go to here go to here go to here and since that point um well during that time i've been struggling with anxiety and depression and another very bad sin in my life and which i hadn't really let god's love really permeate my heart um and eventually i got to the point where he led me to psalm 62 um, when verse 8 really stood out for me, um, which says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Um, and I decided just to go for it. I just opened up my heart to him and just told him all, everything was in there. And suddenly he just ran at me and just started to show his love abundantly to me. Um, and wanted me to spend more and more time with him and he's calling me to spend time with him so much more and this has opened up my eyes to seeing how amazing Jesus is how intimate he is with us he wants to be really really intimate with you and this book is the key um, the spirit is inside this book and it's never separate and away from it I just want to encourage all of you to keep asking God where to go in his word because he will redeem he has redeemed you and he will restore your heart and will heal your heart and make your heart whole with him as he wants for all of us thanks Matt stay there Matt we're going we're gonna to pray together but it would be great to pray for you as well but thanks for sharing that really encouraging story and we're just going to pray specifically that God would help us to have more confidence in his word as Matt's testified so should we pray together Loving Father, thank you for that reminder, as Matt just shared with us, that the Bible was written by you, human authors, but you inspired every word that they wrote, the words that you want us to hear. And I thank you for how, through some of the hardships in Matt's life in recent weeks and months, that you have helped him to have an ever-growing confidence that your word can be trusted. Pray for anyone here who finds it hard to read your Bible or perhaps has never picked it up to read it before, that you would give them encouragement that you are a God who speaks to us, who speaks into the depths of our heart, into our loneliness, into our struggles, and as Matt has shared, wants to restore us and make us whole again. Please, this year, would you help us to evermore be people who listen to you and trust that your word is truthful. Amen. 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 Thanks, Matt, for sharing. So we've looked at 
how Mark 16 in part will help us to have confidence in the truthfulness of God's word. Mark wasn't trying to make up a story to help people to believe what he wrote. He's simply telling the story as it was. And that gives us confidence that everything we read was a simple testimony of someone who saw and heard. But the second thing I'd like us to think about is that this passage also helps us to trust in the promises of God. If we have confidence in the word of God, then we're much more likely to trust in the promises contained within it. Um, So I'm going to ask if Jackie could read Mark 16, verses 2 to 4. Thanks, Jackie. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. If you to work on, just with the person sitting next to you, just for a couple of minutes... Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Just talk to the person next to you. What does that question assume? And secondly, have a look at those two verses that take you back in Mark's gospel a little bit. Why should that be a surprise to us, given those verses? Just have a a little chat with the person next to you. Right, that's enough time. You're all very bright. So let's see how we've got on. So the women come to the tomb. They just ask, I guess, a cut obvious question. Who in the world is going to roll the stone away? So what are they assuming? Not a trick question. They're assuming the stone's there. They're thinking, who's going to move it? We're just two women. How are we going to move this great big stone? They assume the stone will be there. But why is that a surprise, given the verses you looked up or perhaps began to look up? What had Jesus already said? This is just two of the occasions. There's also one in chapter 8 in Mark's Gospel. What had Jesus said was going to happen? He says to them that he was going to rise. And so the women, they were struggling to doubt because they didn't believe that they could trust in the words of the Lord Jesus. Let me read to you um, some wonderful words from a book called Titus, uh, towards the end of the Bible. Uh, Paul is writing a letter, uh, and he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness... A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. So that's picking up the theme of Easter. Which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So what he's saying is that this is truthful. And God had made promises from before time even began. And so if Jesus had spoken to the disciples and he had said, I will rise again in three days. The women and the disciples shouldn't have been surprised at all. And they shouldn't have really gone to the tomb saying... Who's going to roll the stone away? Because they should have trusted in the words of God that the tomb, the stone would have been rolled away um, by God himself. I notice in verse 4, we get a little clue that that is what's happened. When they looked, they saw the stone, which was very large. Just a little edit to sort of say, it's not a stone that two women could have moved. There had been a divine activity here where God in his uh, great power had moved this great stone out of the way and had raised Jesus from the dead. Here's a question for you to reflect on. How often, like the women here, do you or I worry in life? And then as time goes on, we realize that God always had our back. And he always works out his plans perfectly in our lives. How much time do you spend worrying? How much time do I spend worrying rather than trusting in the promises of God? If I really believed and trusted all the promises I read in the scriptures, which are so many, I'd spend far less time worrying 
That's a big rebuke to myself, and I hope it might be to you. Well, we're going to hear from two people in the church who are going to share a little bit of their story of how God has helped them to really trust that his word is truthful. So I'm going to ask Jean to come up first. So Jean's just going to share a little bit of her story of how uh, you and Gerald together have learned to really trust in the promises of God as you've prayed with real heartfelt prayers for family and friends who don't know Jesus to come to know him. Can you just share some encouragements of how the promises of God have really helped you? That'd be great. Well, um, our children, well, first of all, I don't think Gerald and I were ever um, meant to have children, but by the grace of God, he gave us two lovely adopted boys um, who came to church here for all their childhood, um, but no longer come, which is a great sadness, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, I really pray a lot, I'm sure many of you do for your children that you haven't uh, seen them come to the Lord and I can remember many years ago, in fact it was 2002 I had a letter from um, Alice Davis and we'd obviously been talking about the children and she wrote me this lovely letter um, saying that two friends of hers um, were youth leaders in Wickham, Canadian couple, and they'd been doing their work with these children for about seven years and had had no um, conversions and the children didn't seem to be interested. And one night they um, watched a video and at the end of the video apparently um, they were invited to um, come to the Lord. And this little girl put her hand up and... Um, Several others did. In fact, I think all of them did. And Alice says at the end of the letter to me, uh, after five years of seeing almost no results from the, all of their prayers, so, my friend, keep on praying, knowing uh, as they are being watered, ev- knowing that they are being watered every minute, and be prepared for a whopping big harvest one day. Though it delay, wait for it. And... Um, I, I, this morning, for the first time ever, uh, we read um, uh, Jesus saying, um, now go and give this message to his disciples, including Peter. And I'd never seen that before. I was absolutely, how lovely was that, that God, he draws in all of those that want to come. And it's my hope that one day our boys will want to come. To him, and I'm just trusting him. I know he answers prayers, and I know that he is looking out for us and for them too. So that's my promise. Okay. Thank you, Jean. It's <laughs> really lovely to hear, and uh, we'll continue to pray with you for your children. And I know there are many here for whom loved ones and the burden of loved ones not knowing Jesus is a, is a big burden. So we'll continue praying and hold to the promises of God. And Yanis, uh, come and share with us as well. Uh, Janus is going to share a bit of his story. Um, been through some tough times recently, but uh, the promises of God have meant a lot to you, haven't they? So uh, share your story with us. That would be great. Good evening, guys. Uh, it's humbling standing on this side of it. <laughs> My name is Johan Jakob Britz. Some of you know me as Janus, and I'm the, I used to be the self-righteous sinful convenience Christian sitting up on the balcony every other Sunday when I felt like coming to church 
And then a couple of months ago, my whole self-righteous little world just crumbled down on me. To such an extent that, uh, to such an extent that I had this anxiety and pain inside me that was undescribable. Um, it felt like the roaring lion was literally feasting on my soul without anesthetic. And um, I couldn't do anything about it. Now, normally in circumstances like that, well, stressful circumstances in my life in the past, I used to turn to my friends, take me to the pub and have a couple of drinks and just blunt off that pain. But this this wouldn't help. I knew this time it wouldn't help. And um, I've had a Bible next to my bed, in the lower drawer, mind you, for the last, as long as I can remember. And I can shamefully say that I've, out of my own accord, probably only read about 20 pages. But something this time was different. The Lord spoke to me and he said, you can't do this. You need to turn to God. Which I did. But you have to remember, I've been, my whole life, been so proud that I could fix anything. I could mend anything. I could do anything. If you showed me once, I would do it. I was really proud in this and I would fix this myself. So I took the Bible and I started reading. I had a hunger. I wanted to know what's going on. I wanted answers. But the more I read, the more this darkness came upon me. So I went to the gym and I started gymming. I lost two stone. Um, you know, strong body, strong mind. But it didn't help. And no matter how much Mark and the church tried to assist me, I just said, I'm going to do this on my own. And then... I got to such a point where I could only find in the Bible in Job where where I could actually understand how I felt. And it said, please, Lord, come down and just take my life. Smite me, rather strangle me than live with this pain. I couldn't do this anymore. And then I realized, after all our prayers together and everything, and our prayers were actually being answered, but still there was something missing. And I was on anxiety pills and all kinds of stuff from the doctor. But the pills didn't help because the pain wasn't in my head. The pain was in my heart. I realized that I had to trust in God. I had to give him this because I couldn't take this anymore. This was going to kill me. And if it didn't, I would do it myself. And the moment I realized that, I started feeling better. And I could hear my grandmother, my beloved grandmother up in heaven, say, hallelujah, thank God, he finally got it after 40 years. (laughs) But what the the mind wants to do and what the heart wants to do is two different things completely. In your mind, you can say, I want to give everything to God, but your heart doesn't do that. So what happened, um, and I have to tell you this, I came out of a very abusive childhood where my dad used to literally beat the living hell out of you for something insignificant like mislaying one of his tools or eating with your knife and fork in the wrong hand and he reigned with terror so for me a father like we were always told God's our father was not somebody to trust in it was somebody to fear somebody you can you know listen to and acknowledge and he would be nice to you whenever he felt like it So how does this come into my Christianhood? 
I couldn't give anything to God because I didn't trust in his word. Although I read his promises and I was told his promise and I was, I was prayed about his promises, but still I couldn't believe it. I couldn't trust in him. And then one morning, I had a meeting in London for 8 o'clock. And um, I got to, to Oxford Tube Station. I got out of the Tube Station at about 7.30 in the morning. I thought I'll have a quick coffee. As I came out, there was a homeless guy sitting there shaking from the cold. And I, my heart went out to him, but I, in my own pain, you know, just acknowledged and walked past like the rest of the world. But I only got about 10 steps and something told me to turn around. I turned around and I went to this guy and I gave him some change. I said, Duke, just go and buy some food, please. I walked off and then all of a sudden I started noticing these people on the sidewalks lying on cardboard. And I started feeling a different kind of pain. And then I, I noticed this little piece of cardboard that says, is there anybody out there who cares? And there was this guy lying there, and up until today I have no idea how or why or what. And I just went to this guy and knelt down beside him, and not out of my own accord, my hand went on top of this guy's head and said, I care. God cares. There is hope. And you know what this guy on the sidewalk said to me? He said, brother, there is always hope for us. This is a guy with nothing. I've, I'm broken. I've, I've lost everything. But this guy told me there is hope for us. So I left him there and I ran off to my meeting and I had my quick meeting and it was bothering me the whole time. And as I came out, something said, I have to go and pray with this guy. And I was so anxious and I found him eventually. I found him there where he was lying. And I said to him, yeah, my name is Janus. And he said his name was Gareth. I said to him, Gareth, Do you believe in God? And he said, yes, I believe in God. I said to him, you know, I've never done this before, but I would really like to pray with you. And this, the words he then uttered changed my life completely. He said, you know what? I've already been praying for you. I mean, how can this guy with nothing pray for somebody who's got, in his eyes, probably everything? So we spent some time together and we prayed and I promised I'll come and see him again. And that's when I realized that anxiety, hate, depression, resentment, those are not the gifts God is willing to give us. That's not what he died for. God suffered on that cross for us so we could have joy and peace and everlasting life. So it made sense to me that God wasn't my father. God was my friend. God was somebody I could share with. His mailbox is full at the moment. I'm praying like mad. You won't believe. And it's changed my life completely. I thank the Lord for taking this opportunity in my life, this hardship. And it's not over. I still don't have answers to to this big issue in my life. But because I've given it to God, that anxious feeling has disappeared. I wake up in the morning bubbly, you know. I'm excited. And the only, I don't know many people, so I phone Mark and I drive him mad. <laughs> you know. I started talking at work. I said to them, you know, I'm, I'm talking about God at work among atheists. 
And they respect me for that. I actually told them, you need to start gathering your old clothes. I want it on Thursday. I'm going to see a homeless guy. And they actually, I've got a car full of old clothes. So the God has called, God has called me to do something for him. Not just ask him the whole time for everything I want. He's, he's, he's actually called me to work for him. I still don't know how I'm going to do this. I've got the calling, but I don't know how to do this yet. I still feel like I'm now, I'm now back to being an infant in God. But I will learn and I'm willing to learn. And all I want to do is thank God for this opportunity in this hard circumstances to show me that I had to be broken first before he could make me a new man. Amen. Thank you for your time. Well, big thank you to Giannis and to Jean and to Matt. It's hardly the best times to stand up here in front of anyone, but to bear your soul and your heart like that is a great thing. We respect you for it and we thank you for being so honest to encourage us. And should we pray for Jean and for Giannis now? And we're particularly going to pray that God would help us all to trust in his amazing promises. Heavenly Father, thank you that as you teach us that we can have confidence that your word is trustworthy, that you teach us that your promises can be trusted. Thank you that when the Bible tells us that we're loved, even when we don't feel that it's true, we can trust that it is because you are the one who says, I love you. Thank you for the promises that help us to persevere. Thank you for Jean and Gerald and their perseverance in prayer for their boys. And we continue to pray, Lord, with them, that they'd have hope and trust that you are good and you will always do what is right. Please would you work in their son's lives and show them the amazing love that you have for them. Thank you, Father, for how you've met Janus in his pride and in his self-reliance and you've broken him and you've shown him that you are a God who loves him and wants to use him. Thank you that you showed him that through the brokenness of a homeless man in London. And I pray for each of us as we think of our own situations of anxiety and worry and concern in our life that you would teach us that we can trust in your promises because you're a God who never lies. We thank you that so many of the promises that you have spoken are recorded for us in the Bible and may we read them and believe them and may they be real in our lives that we can trust you through all the uncertainties that we face because you are a good God. Amen. Great. One final reading then. We're going to look at one last thing in our passage. So we've thought about confidence in God's word being trustworthy. We've thought about that then helps us to trust in the promises within it. And we've heard people testify to how they put their trust in God. And finally, that leads us, rather like where you ended this morning, um, with boldness to actually go out and speak this word to a broken world. So Jackie's going to read to us just verses 7 and 8, please. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, Verse 6 is a funny verse, isn't it? There's there's a bit of sort of humour and irony there. Imagine you turn up to a a tomb of a man you think is still dead, and you're assuming he's going to be there and he's not. And then, rather than Jesus meeting you dead an angel speaks to you, you'd be pretty scared, I think. Um, so there, I think there's a hint of irony and humor where the angel speaks to the women and says, don't be alarmed. 
But as we looked at this morning, primarily the angels speaking to the women, not about not being alarmed that Jesus is not there. Sorry, not being alarmed that it's an angel speaking to them, but more not being alarmed because Jesus is not there. He's saying, stop worrying because he told you he wouldn't be here. Start trusting. And then he goes on in verse 6. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And as you've already looked up, that verse that Jesus spoke earlier on before he died, where he said, the Son of Man is one of the names Jesus gives to himself. And he says, I, the Son of Man, will be delivered into the hands of men. And then I will be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus had already spoken about the fact that he would rise from the dead. And here, where the angels greet um, the women, they speak to them and say, don't be alarmed, don't worry, because he's only done what he said he would do. And then it goes on in verse 7, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Keep your finger there. Just flip back to chapter 8. I want to show you something that's absolutely amazing. Come back to chapter 8. I'm sorry, to chapter 14. And have a look at verses 27 and 28. The situation is the Last Supper. Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples before he goes to the garden, gets arrested, and then goes to his death. And what does the Lord Jesus speak to his disciples in chapter 14, verse 27? He says to them, you will all fall away. And then he quotes from a passage of scripture from a book called Zechariah. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So it's a prophecy where Jesus is saying one day I will be crucified. I will be struck and my sheep, the disciples, will be scattered. Isn't that exactly what happened? They abandoned him in the garden. They abandoned him at the cross. There were just a few women. But notice what goes on in verse 28. What did Jesus also say? He predicted his death, but he also says, verse 28, but after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And here, God sends these messengers to speak to the women. And what did the messengers say to the women? Go and tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Everything that Jesus said would happen has now happened. And it's interesting, isn't it? Where does Jesus choose to meet his disciples after he rises again? Back at the very beginning, in Galilee, beside a lake where it all began, where he chose his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, is there that he meets them. Why? Because the resurrection wasn't the end of the story, but was actually just the beginning of the story. That's why he says, go tell. And that leads us really well to to next week in the morning service. We're going to complete our little series in Mark's gospel. We're going to go right the way back to Mark chapter 1, to the wonderful words where Jesus speaks to these fishermen and says come follow me and we're going to think together about what it really means to be a disciple of jesus to be a christian follower but the really significant thing is as the angels here speak to the women what they're trying to do is help the women and later help the disciples to connect their story with his story history and the more that we understand that our lives are actually meant to be connected to the great story of how God is rescuing people and drawing them to himself, the more our lives will make sense. It's interesting here, isn't it, that he is drawing to himself the very people who've been scattered, and he's drawing them back to himself and saying, guess what? 
broken disciples who've messed up, who've doubted, who've struggled in their own strength, I'm going to use you to tell a whole world. If you were Jesus and you had a great plan to tell the whole world that you had beaten death and risen again, would you choose a few fishermen and a tax collector and a few other random people? If that is your great plan to let a whole world know, would you really do that? And yet that's what Jesus does because the gospel goes out not in our strength, not in our great ability, but goes out in brokenness. As Yana said, when God breaks our heart, then he can use us. And that is a glorious thing. And just one final comment. Have a look back in Mark chapter 16. Uh, We're finishing our reading at verse 8. Notice how Mark finishes his gospel. It's a very unusual way to end this great story, isn't it? He just simply says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Ask yourself the question, why kind of such an abrupt ending? It's not a kind of happily ever after. It doesn't even tell us really what happened. Why does Mark very deliberately leave us on a kind of cliffhanger? What's going to happen next? It's because he wants to ask us, the readers, a very simple question. How will we respond? The story, in a sense, hasn't finished. Because as you read the story and you're part of the story, you have to answer it for yourself. How will you respond to this saviour who has died and who has risen again? Initially, it was fear that stopped the women from speaking. But God's desire for each of us is to go out, as we see there, with boldness to proclaim the word of God, to tell the whole world that Jesus is alive, that he's king, that he's Lord of our life. And we'll have a greater boldness to do that if we are able to trust in the promises of God. And we have a better trust in the promises of God if we have confidence that his word is truth. And that was the lesson I learned all those years ago in my school with that school emblem, your word is truth. And by God's grace, he's helped me to keep trusting it. And I pray he will continue to help me to trust it. And that's my prayer for each of us, that we will keep trusting in the word of God so that we'll cling to his promises through the tough times and so that he will use us in all of our brokenness to go out and share the gospel with a lost and a broken world. That's a pretty awesome mission to be involved in. And I commend the Lord Jesus to you and pray that he would give us his grace to continue the story in the coming days one final prayer and this time i want to specifically pray that god would grow within us a boldness to proclaim his gospel so if you want to please join me as we pray together heavenly father we thank you that your word is trustworthy we thank you that it contains so many promises that you will be with us we thank you that the very last words of jesus recorded in another gospel were The words that I will never leave you or forsake you. Surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Heavenly Father, would you take all of us in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our fears. Please, as we've heard from some of those who testified tonight, would you break our hearts that we would evermore be reliant on you. Thank you that the power of the gospel isn't in our ability to explain it isn't in our eloquence and our professionalism. The power of the gospel is in what you have done. And each of us has a story to tell of what you have done. So please help us to speak this story with great boldness to a lost world so that everyone may know the incredible love that you have for them. And we pray this in the mighty and risen name of Jesus. 
Amen. I said at the beginning that uh, the aim of tonight's service was to encourage you. I'd love you to not leave here discouraged. So if you've come with a heavy burden on your heart, something you're anxious about this week, something that um, God has spoken to you tonight, or something you've heard from one of these guys who shared their story, just turn to someone who's near you and pray with them. It'd be really good that you leave encouraged. But I want to close by reading the testimony of Matthew. He was one of the disciples. Remember, the angels said to the women, go and tell the disciples and Peter to get to Galilee because Jesus is going to meet you there. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, we read exactly that happened. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And these are the very last words Jesus speaks. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that is why we can leave here encouraged. Amen.